Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that turns our guests into their own best storytellers using music's power to connect us to our memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Andrea Lynn. Andrea says she's a writer in search of the right words, the ones she hopes will help ignite human compassion for all living things. She's a journalist and a teacher who earned her bachelor's degree from Truman State University in Missouri and her MFA in writing and consciousness from the California Institute of Integral Studies. Her bio says from her first job as a beat reporter, Reporter in suburban Kansas City to executive level positions in both the editorial and business divisions of several media companies. Andrea has seen journalism from many angles. These days, she explores the fourth estate's role in American society with her students at Florida Gulf Coast University, where she serves as an adjunct in the Department of Integrated Studies. Also, a self described budding citizen scientist, Andrea says her research takes her to places without names and to civilization's edges. She's heading to the Arctic next year as a recipient of the Arctic. Circle Expeditionary Residency. She also supports fellow writers through her boutique publishing company. She describes writing as a pathway to what's around her and storytelling as the preservation of the eternal pieces of us all. We met Andrea through friend of the show and past guest, Lynn Milner, and have been working on getting her in the studio for a couple of months now. So now that she's here, let's get to her song stories. Hey there, Andrea. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Suburban Kansas City. Where in suburban yeah. Kansas City? I was born in oh, – right, I, I have family in Kansas City. Oh, you do? So where in Kansas City? Well, I got my break in journalism from a wonderful group of people in Liberty, Missouri. Okay. And I eventually moved on to the Kansas City Star. Okay. But that is my sentimental – beginning as a journalist. Are you from Missouri? You went to Truman State. I'm not. How did you wind up there? Well, we all kind of sometimes have the desire to leave home, Uh spread our wings. And that was an opportunity for me to, I have, as I think we're going to probably visit about, a musical bent. And I had the opportunity there to do some singing and to play my French horn. Oh, French horn, huh? Yeah. You know, uh, when my daughter was getting ready to go to middle school, the band director said, you know, have her play the French horn. I can get her into college. That was like See, literally the first that's thing, the thing. said. That's the thing. I, I remember hearing that same story from my fifth grade band director who that's was funny. trying to get me to play horn because nobody wanted to because nobody wanted to lug the thing around. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, just real quick, uh, Raytown. That's where my family's from. Oh, okay, so, yeah. you know, right there on the bottom right side. Sure, I've been uh, lost there. Which edge of the civilization have you most recently visited? <laughs> Let's see. Do we want to talk about water, land, I up, don't know. down? Remote. Well, I do have a winter in the Grand Canyon experience oh. that made me realize just how intelligent are the ravens that occupy the Grand Canyon, especially the picnicking areas and the camping areas. Hmm. But I have now seen ravens sled for fun. Oh, on really? The backs. I saw that on YouTube once, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's there. Yeah, I, I didn't choose to take video of them, but I was just fascinated by what they could do and what they knew about me just from watching. Hmm. I went real quick. I went to the Grand Canyon once, and uh, this was back before the Internet, and I went to the North Rim, and it was closed because it was like oh. April. And I didn't, you know, when I'm, I'm driving across country, sure. I'm like, which way do I go? 
south or north, you know, and I went to the other one. I get there and it's like, Grand Canyon's closed. I felt like the vacation when the <laughs> Wally showed up and it was like out there and it's closed. Um, okay. Aww. Musical background of your yeah. childhood. Yeah. Where was it? We know French horn. Where was it and what was it? Yeah. Where was it? Where was it? Well, it was everywhere. Uh, it was a part of my life from the beginning. I kind of joke that I was born religious and musical. Music was a big part of everything that was spiritual in my family's life. So we had one of those that now seems very antiquated, but at the time, a really state-of-the-art intercom system oh, okay. yeah, in yeah. our home. Yeah, And it, it piped sacred hymns most of the time. So they, those hymns, that music was the backdrop to most of our conversations, to our oh, meals. So you literally had music playing in the background of your home. All the time. Mm. And um, my childhood church was an offshoot of Angelus Temple in L.A., which was founded by Amy Semple McPherson and during the interwar period in the 20th century. And she was a phenomenal individual when it came to understanding the power of music to indoctrinate, to move, to drive emotion. So as a child in my childhood church that was filled with music, I was fascinated by the magnanimous joy that I saw all around me. This type of uh, a church, um, although it was fundamentalist in the way that it adhered to um, biblical doctrine, it was also filled with music, Pentecostal, evangelical, and the role that music played was vital. So that type of music was just everywhere in my life. I also, because I had the benefit and privilege of having a pastoral rural childhood, I heard the music in nature every day. I could open my window in the mornings and the birds were chirping and the squirrels did their, well, I guess they chirped too. So where was this geographically? Oh, in the Midwest, in northern Illinois. Northern Illinois. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that was what you wanted no, me to say no, like five I, no, minutes ago. No, no. Well, you mentioned L.A., so I didn't know if maybe that's where we were talking about. But yeah, no, but that's – no, it's all good. Um, uh, so was there – like were your folks musicians? Were, your, were you hearing other kinds of music besides this church music? I mean what was going on in the terms of like secular music? Right. Well, and that's, that's the fascinating part of – my one of my childhood stories, I wasn't exposed to secular music very much. But the first song that I had an opportunity to sing for an audience was indeed a secular song. I always sang, and I don't know if at some point I did ask my parents this when I had an opportunity to ask them, why did you allow me the privilege of being able to take singing lessons as a as a little tiny kid. And um, they couldn't, at that time, recall why. Okay. Uh, I don't know if they just got tired of me asking or if maybe, you know, I think at some point in my precocious teenage years, I'd probably said I wanted to be the next Amy Grant, who at the time was doing a lot of contemporary Christian music. Sure. And was, 
you know, quite popular in, you know, to a certain audience. And I don't know if they saw that maybe I was heading that direction and wanted to support that. But they were, you know, they were generous in, in allowing me the opportunity to, you know, to um, learn about voice from a very young age. Hmm. Are you still a singer today? Uh, I I sing all the time. Yeah? In I, front of people? Uh, well, you know, you... Karaoke? <laughs> I haven't done karaoke in a while. I, I, I used to be kind of the wedding singer kind of person. Uh-huh. Uh, I would say I'm rusty. Okay. I would say that resonance is probably not where it ought to be. Right. <laughs> but I, you know, I enjoy every kind of song, every kind of music. It's hmm. just a What about the French horn thing? Did that stick around? I still play my horn. Oh yeah. But again, you know, I I need to probably find an audience again at some point. Where do you fun. play the French horn as a grown-up without a yeah. Symphony. <laughs> yeah, in your in your room yeah, <laughs> by yourself. So. You buzz your mouthpiece and hope nobody's listening. Hope, you know, that you don't play loud enough that, you know, some of your neighbors kind of wonder what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, what, what kind of devices were being – you mentioned the intercom. And I had a house, by the way, here in Fort Myers back in the 80s. I mean, it was my parents' house, but we had the intercom system too. We oh, didn't good. really play music on it, but we would sort of, you know, the novelty of it. We would talk to each other oh, and stuff sure. like that. Yeah. Uh, but what what was the music being played on besides the intercom system? Did you guys have records and things like that, or was it coming through the radio? There were, yeah, the radio. We we lived quite some distance from um, my childhood church, so I was in the car all the time. So I would put my little ears by the the radio speaker in the back seat. Mm-hmm. You know, in the old days, there was. There were two speakers in the back seat that were on a ledge almost. And I was very short kid. But I would kind of try to angle my head so I could hear what was coming out of that speaker all the time. So that kind of music was in the car with me. It was on vinyls, which so cool. They're coming back. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that that really warm kind of a, of a, of a timber from a, a vinyl, that music came across as almost conflicted for me because mm. it in many ways was lovely, but it also represented um, things I didn't completely understand or um, wasn't situated with well as a, as a young child. Hmm. What was the first music you owned that was your music that you chose? <laughs> I, I sneaked some some cassette tapes into my Walkman that were some soundtracks of popular movies of the era. Sneaked, meaning (laughs) you had the, this was surreptitious. Correct. (laughs) Yes. So we had some farm animals. And so I would, you know, maybe be out at the barn with the horses and I'd have my footloose soundtrack going out there and I'd be shoveling the manure to... You know, footloose, footloose. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody could see me, <laughs> and and so I was. You know, I obviously as I became more engaged in social structures outside of the church. You know, that's going to seep into everyone's life, mm-hmm. and I wanted to experience it like all the other kids were experiencing it. So, some of my friends were generous to loan me tapes or mm-hmm. make me mix tapes. And hmm. it's time for your first song. Okay. What is it? Take me home, country roads. When I told them that was, they were all like, oh. 
Really? Yeah. So people uh, know this song besides me. Oh yeah, yeah. This song is is institutional in our culture, I believe. Anyway, well so said. why why is it uh, why is it one of your songs? What's the story? Do you want to tell it first? Do you want to listen to it? How do you want to handle this? Let's listen to the song and then I'll I'll tell the story. Is that okay? Absolutely. Um, uh, Take me home, country roads, John Denver from his 1971 album Poems, Prayers, and Promises. was the first song that I had the privilege of singing in front of an audience. Okay, which you alluded to before. Yes. Now, to put that in context, the audience was a amazingly polite group of seven-year-olds. Okay. How old were you? <laughs> I was seven. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. My, my music teacher, who had agreed somehow to offer me singing lessons at that age— had chosen this song, and apparently I, my parents were not there. Nobody objected. It wasn't a, a religious, spiritual song. I was, you know, there was no problem performing it, and so she had chosen it. I sang it to my peers who were, I'm sure, bored out of their minds that, you know, one Friday afternoon, one of their classmates was going to sing to them, sing at them, really. Yeah. You know, was it like a cappella, or did you have like a karaoke track? Not really a karaoke oh, she, track, but or piano comp- company. Yeah, oh, my okay. my music teacher played the piano gotcha. with me, and I really didn't realize that I was the only one in the class who had this. Desire. I kind of assumed, well, eventually probably everybody's going to do this. Mm-hmm. And the school year unfolded, and that was in the fall of my second grade year. And, and we came to the end of school, and nobody else had ever done it. And I thought, huh, I don't know if I'm strange that I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, ever, other people just would rather play outside, which I, I love doing too, but I just couldn't stop wanting to learn about music. And that was really the, I guess it's so much a part of my memories because that was the first time I remember watching other people's expressions when you're sharing music with them. And I can, you know, even though, again, they were other seven-year-olds and they were probably bored, they were, they were generous in their, you know, support. Were you nervous at all? I don't recall being nervous. I recall thinking that I looked stupid standing by the piano because I didn't know what to do with my hands. (laughs) So I remember trying to fold them in front of me. I remember trying to put my hands down at my sides. I remember putting my hands behind me because I hadn't been trained about stage presence, of course. And so I just stood by the piano feeling feeling awkward. But I felt confident in my my voice because – my generous music teacher had <laughs> hmm. given me a few lessons. Did you go on to do like theater singing and stuff like that? Or what kind of singing did you – have you done over the, you know, time, yeah. over, the, over the years? <laughs> oh, I was quite a thespian in my okay. own mind. In, in your uh, own mind? In my own mind. Yeah. And as I, I had mentioned earlier, you know, singing at the weddings of friends and family and singing to myself a lot. Uh you know, all of the things that we go through as as youngsters who 
want to be in the performing arts. So every opportunity to have recitals, to be parts of, at the time, I think we called them music camps mm-hmm. at you know universities that would allow young people to come in and learn more. I had a consistent um, voice lessons practice that was a part of my life all the way through undergraduate school, really. Oh, wow. But that doesn't mean I have have immense talent. That just means I worked at it a lot. Well, and you enjoyed it, right? (laughs) Oh, very much so. I, I, you know, music is so much a part of of how I think about a day. Hmm. Do you have a favorite song to sing? I have about 20 favorite songs to sing. And unfortunately, what happens is they run into one another. Right. So it's good that there's no one else listening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What would be the song you've sung most recently to yourself in the car? Well, I have Andrea Bocelli playing in the car right now, so I would have to say that probably one of the tracks that's on the current CD that's plugged into my car. I'm not sure which one. Is uh, CDs how you listen to music in the car mostly, or do you have like you know streaming stuff too, or how do you mostly listen to your music? What is the medium? I stream when I'm at the house, and when I'm in the car, I still like to put the CDs and I think I probably concentrate on the road more effectively when I have CDs hmm. playing because I don't ever have to glance over at a device. Well, that's an interesting point. Um, uh, what about mixtapes? You alluded to mixtapes before. Did you ever make or receive mixtapes? Oh, yeah. That was kind of the, the, the thing to show people that you really cared right. back then, right? <laughs> that's what I remember it being. Some other people seem to think it was not that way. Aww. Well, no, some people are like, well, I made it for myself. I'm like, well, come on. Oh, no, you put, like, you put your favorite songs together and you give that to somebody. That was like a huge gesture because way back then, you know, like, can I date myself anymore? Can I say that any <laughs> more effectively? Way back then, continue. <laughs> It was a lot of work because the technology I know. It was, wasn't. It was manual. Yes. So it was a lot of work to make a mixtape on a cassette. And I think it was a, a major sign of friendship or, in some cases, romantic interest. That seemed to be the thing, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, yeah, I had a few experiences like that. But honestly, a lot of what I spent time with were. You know, tapes that friends had. had yeah, your your surreptitious friends. <laughs> yes, tapes. that yes. had 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 loaned me or given me. Did anybody ever give you a mixtape and did it, did it appropriately woo you? I did get a, a couple of mixtapes, and what I what I found annoying is that the individuals chose to to speak. Oh. On the tapes instead That's of just. Not- that's not, not cool. No, so just putting music on there to, to put your message, you know, a spoken voice message. Right. Yeah, I had that happen more than once. Really? That's so, that's that, that's weird. Isn't it a little, yeah, bit, I think. <laughs> a little bit strange? Uh, when was the last time you bought music that had a physical form? Are you still going out? You you have CDs. Are you going mm-hmm. out and like, like, where does one buy a CD? I am very <laughs> – Amazon probably. Well, it probably – I am very drawn to, uh, to to concerts that include a DVD and a CD. Mm-hmm. So um, I just recently acquired the um, 
Josh Groban Madison Garden concert, and that came with the CD. So that's been my most recent hmm. CD purchase. Uh, teaching. How long have you been doing the teaching thing? WGC. Can you believe I said that? FGCU. That's okay. I get them mixed up all the time. I have, I, I, yeah, you're not the only one. <laughs> uh, so 2008 was when I first had the opportunity to be a part of the teaching experience at FGCU. Hmm. And obviously it's grown tremendously. Mm-hmm. And I've learned so much from the students here. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to engage with them. Of course, I don't sing to them. Do you ever use music in your classes? Does music ever pop up somehow? The opportunity to discuss music as a as a ribbon that that weaves us all together does come up now and then in in writing conversations because to me writing has so much to do with the same ways that we express feeling with music. And obviously, so much of music has lyrics included too. I've always thought, hmm, what if I were the kind of poet who could be chosen to have their their words communicated via some beautiful composition? I haven't arrived there yet, hmm. but it's um, a fantasy. What kind of writing do you do on your own terms and time? Poetry? And, and well, yeah, doesn't ever, I, I think I'm a poet, sure. Uh, no, I, I do work in, in haiku uh, because – I do feel um, that it is a wonderful way to express observations of nature. Mm -hmm. And I do, with my writing, hope to capture and honor what does live with us, for us, around us. And then on the other side of that, I also have um, journalism-oriented writing that I do. But I do so enjoy just writing about what I observe around me in nature. Hmm. What's the uh, boutique publishing company all about? Yeah. Everybody does have a story for sure. I mean, obviously this is Here all about are. storytelling. <laughs> and I find that a lot of my uh, writerly peers feel that they're not literary enough or maybe not connected enough to – send their story out into the world. And from so many years in publishing, I've been able to just help facilitate getting some of those stories out into the world. Uh, I have a baby imprint, but I do have an understanding of the process and can get a story out. So when I come into contact with someone who tells me, you know, I have this great book idea or I have this essay or I have this story I want to tell. But, you know, of course, nobody at the big presses would ever want to spend time with my story or uh, listen to me. My goal is to help them navigate how they can share their story. And in some cases, you know, we'll take that project and actually put it out into the world on another writer's behalf. Hmm. So, yeah. Any uh, examples of the kind of things that you would have facilitated? Sure. There's um, a book called 
lounge act that we have finished in the last year that is a pretty fascinating um, noir mystery okay. type of a book by a fascinating woman who has some beautiful research capabilities mm. and they really feed into her storytelling in in a lovely way. Okay. So that's one of our one of our more recent projects and I say our just because I lean on a lot of other people who have experience in the publishing industry who pitch in from time to time and help me out. Understood. Okay. Um, uh, it is time for your second song. What is it? Why is it? What's the story? I'd like to buy the world a Coke. <laughs> Which I really appreciated. <laughs> it is um, the, the music from the original Coca-Cola television ad. It was, it was a jingle. Mm-hmm. It was created in 1971. And it has always meant something much bigger than, than a soft drink to me. And I was a, a little kid when that commercial came out and really didn't have a lot of time with television, honestly. That, you know, there wasn't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the, the childhood you've described was big on TV. No. No, I was usually outdoors having my romantic pastoral childhood experiences running around in nature. But there was something about I suppose I mean the visuals were 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 very experiential for me. There were faces in that commercial of every type of race and ethnicity that was imaginable, which was the goal mm-hmm. of that of that song, of that ad that you know Coke was universal. Coca-Cola we're speaking about specifically, <laughs> let's be clear. Coca-Cola the beverage was universal um the the gentleman who had um, was credited with creating that ad had recently passed away this year in May, and so I was listening to some of the background that he had shared about how he created it and why he created it, and you know these are his words, but they do resonate with me that we all need company and. His observation was that when people shared the beverage, that maybe what they were really craving beyond even the refreshment of the beverage was some company, some time to be with one another. So the imagery of those, I think it was 500 people on a hill in Italy singing the song together, which was, you know, as um, I remember not knowing what the word hippie meant until <laughs> my my parents had mentioned that that was a hippie song that I was really enjoying in the commercials because I would get really animated when when this song. Do they mean hippie pejoratively? Um, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> that's a funny observation kind on of, your part. Kind of ironic, too, considering the commercialness of, I mean, it's Coca-Cola. Yeah, tapping into the hippie. Well, you know, right on. <laughs> um I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have exposure really to, you know, what I didn't know what a flower child was. I didn't know, uh, I didn't know. I was so young, I didn't understand, you know, protests against, you know, the war. I didn't know that there, you know, the movement that was the hippie movement at the time. 
But I just knew that this song meant everything that I understood nature to be, which was um, happy and joyful and peaceful. And, wow, we can just all be together and be happy and we can be out in nature and just stand in it and accept that this is our place in it. And, okay, so people have a glass bottle of Coca-Cola, but that, for me, the child, wasn't really what I was taking away from it. Although I have to say that on a subconscious, unconscious, I would have to check in with a scientist on that <laughs> level, I began to always choose, even though my family was a Pepsi family. I don't know <laughs> if anyone recalls the Pepsi Coca-Cola Wars. Richard and I were just talking about that yesterday. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, so, I, was, I was saying that the, the Pepsi Challenge, so for those yes. those who are maybe too young or missed it, the Pepsi Challenge was uh, these series of ads, this campaign where they would blindfold people and make them drink Pepsi and Coke and pick their favorite. And Pepsi won by a decent margin, <laughs> and it doesn't didn't change it the needle. Didn't change anything, <laughs> right? Like, nowadays, because they used to be neck and neck. It used to actually be like like half of the country picked one and half the other, but but now, like Coke has proven that branding is better than than flavor. <laughs> I guess it's so true. So and, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm going to illustrate that point now. I grew up in a Pepsi family. We only had cases of Pepsi in our home. However, whenever I was allowed the opportunity to choose when I wasn't at home and then throughout my life to this point, I will always choose a Coca-Cola. And I don't really drink soft drinks, but I have this sentimental, warm, fuzzy feeling about Coca-Cola. So the other thing that is magical about this whole connection with this particular song, and if you listen to the words, it is something that most humans might wish to connect with. It's positive, it's happy, it's warm, it's fuzzy. But I started understanding this thing called a jingle and that I was being exposed to all of these songs that made me kind of want something. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about, as a, as a probably a child a little bit older than when I first heard this song, but there was a lot of power in those jingles because they get stuck in your head and they do not go away. Mm -hmm. And so I started associating this power of music with also my upbringing, this idea that music could indoctrinate. Music could make us desire something, want something. And especially if the rhythms and the tones and the, the composition were created in, a, in such a way that we could actually manipulate. It, and maybe that's a bad word. But we could we could kind of influence yeah. strongly. Is that better? Um, <laughs> how how we feel about a thing, about uh, a myth, about a a god, about another person, about uh, some food I have to have immediately. You know, um, I'm still fascinated with the McDonald's commercials too. You know, they do music really well as well. Mm -hmm. So. This song. Shall we listen to it? Let's. Uh, and I hadn't didn't know a lot of the stuff that you were just talking about, but I looked it all up. So this is I'd like to buy the world a Coke from the TV ad. Uh, Bill Backer was the guy who wrote it. The, the internal project it was in, it was dubbed Hilltop. 
That's what they called it. Yes. And then it went on to become the song, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing in Perfect Harmony. That was recorded by the New Seekers and the Hillside Singers. See, we learn all kinds of things. Right. And didn't it go really high on the Billboard? I think it did. Top 100? I assumed it was like the other way around, but apparently, no, the Coke started it off. Yeah. Let's listen to it. Okay. I, I collect the songs for this, but I don't listen to them until we come in here. And that's literally the first time I've heard that in ages. And it's just right there, you know? Did you remember it all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's crazy. Um, <laughs> hey, a real fast on that note of, you know, it, those, those melodies sinking into your brain and sticking over time. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of mind control for everybody who's listening to the podcast right now. So I'm going to try something here. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. No, no. That's the McDonald's theme song. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, so I haven't so, had I haven't had TV for twenty five years, so I'm. Oh, that wasn't for you, Mike. Uh, <laughs> so I her face lit up. Ninety percent of our audience just went. I'm loving it. I did. Yeah, <laughs> I admit it. I, I am proud of how oblivious I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, Mad Men. Did you watch Mad Men? I. Didn't consistently watch Mad Men, but I knew that this was that's, what they used in their how, last that's episode. That's how it all ended. Like, yeah. Tom Draper went off the rails, and then everybody started smoking pot because it was the 70s, and yeah. then he had gotten fired, and then they started up their own ad camp or ad, you know, company. Yeah. And then this was his grand idea, and that's how it ended was he came back and he did this, yeah. this commercial. And it was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but the power of, of this particular commercial. Yep. I mean, Wow. Yeah, we're still sitting here talking about it. Exactly. You're still drinking Coca-Cola because of it. Well, I try not to drink right. soft drinks, but <laughs> if I have a choice, if I have to, I will. And every time at Christmas time, um, when they have the Coca-Cola Polar. bears, I think I, I think I tear up. <laughs> I do. They're just it just gets me, and I have to believe that it goes back to, you know, Snow White turtle doves and honeybees and all the the beautiful imagery it's so sensory hmm. you know what what's in the song hmm. um do you listen to music while you're writing all the time does it have to be music that doesn't have words so you don't get distracted or does it not matter that is such a great question because it very much depends on what kind of writing i am doing i'll i'll move from the from the solfeggios to the 80s music that still makes me feel like maybe I'm a teenager. Uh, you know, the memories that are so embedded in who we are when we're developing our sense of self. Mm-hmm. So I have a spectrum of, of music that I enjoy. Um, I will do classical with words. I will do, you know, a, a symphony it it varies, and it really has to do with the kind of writing that I'm trying to construct in that moment. Hmm. Um, dancing. You a dancer? I'm a terrible dancer, but I like to move. I'm very – in fact, having to sit still here in this room <laughs> is a little difficult for me. I don't sit still well. I never have. I was one of those kids who, if you made me take a nap, I was going to stare at a – you had to give me a clock, and I was going to stare at it. I was going to find ways to move 
for the hour or whatever I had to stay put. I just, yeah, I don't sit still well. So, so yeah, dancing, moving around with music is, is definitely an important aspect of celebrating the fact that as humans we, we get to hear and experience and, and feel the vibrations of sound. So if you're at a wedding, you're out there. Reception. <laughs> well, well <laughs> it, it, it depends because, again, I just, I just, you know, being honest, I'm not a talented dancer. Right. Well, but there's, so, that, there's that, you know, there's that, um, there's the fear factor. You know what yeah. I mean? There's some people, it's just that you're either on one side or the other. Which side are you on? Well, I'm ex- which is funny to say because I know we're sitting here having this conversation that other people are going to potentially hear, but I'm really shy. Yeah. There's so, going to be a few people that hear this. Huh. <laughs> That's weird. So, yeah, I. it depends who who's around me and, and what the audience is. And if everybody else is so into their own dancing that they're not going to be paying attention to me, sure, I'll, I'll grab a corner. Okay. Um, what about live music? What's like the most recent thing you've gone to see that was live? Do you have a peak live memory, live music memory? I guess I'm going to go back to seeing Josh Groban live and having an appreciation for individuals who are so gifted at using their vocal instruments, really trained to hear and share with their audience the feelings that they're experiencing with their vocalization. So he's one of my favorites, and that would have been my most recent. Do you have a, a pinnacle live music experience? <laughs> well, if I go way, way back again, I got to <laughs> my, um, my first live, um, I guess, secular concert was Chicago. Oh, okay. And those, the instruments, when they played, I even more so than their singing, I, I recall the brass instruments being so good at punctuating the emotions in in the auditorium. And I take that with me. Hmm. Where was that? Wow. I'm going to have to think for a minute about that. Well, while you're thinking about it, do you have any TV, TV theme songs committed to memory that you'd like to sing with us? <laughs> Be huh. ready, Richard. <laughs> That's funny. Does that mean no? You're a singer. Come on. Or at least which ones do you definitely know? Like you know all the words to that song. <laughs> I'm not going to admit that. Mike just told me that other people might hear this. Yeah, well, we just oh, won't release it. We'll do twenty <laughs> questions then. <laughs> now you got. You know, see, now I'm, I'm gonna, putting you on the spot. I'm going to blush. Does that matter on radio? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I think she's stalling us, Richard. <laughs> uh, what era song? Uh, we're just going to guess then. What era show? Like Brady Bunch. Yeah, like Brady Bunch theme or later. Oh, really? You said Brady Bunch? I'm just picking a, a spot to move. I know. I already, I already, I already, kind of like formulated the whole timeline, didn't I? Well, You've I got all the time in the world here, Andrea. I just <laughs> okay. Well, I recently read 
a story about how we all continuously go back to the reruns of Friends and The Office. So I know both of those theme songs. The Office is just instrumental, it right? It is. Yep, but I could hum the whole uh, thing for you. There's actually a long version of that. Hum, hum it for us. No, there's, you're kidding yeah, me. Yeah, a, the Office is a song song. It is? Yeah. Not that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, yeah, you hum now, and then I'll find the full thing. Oh. Uh, no. <laughs> no, wait. <laughs> me again? No. I wanted to hear the... the Actual song. That's oh, amazing. And it's, and it's weird, by the way. I just learned. I I love learning that. Yeah, hold on, because it's it gets. Uh, it's a song by uh, the the Scranton. No, the, Scrant- the Scrantons. Yeah, the like Scranton. Because it's set in Scranton, Scranton, Scranton Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania uh-huh. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's an that's an ad. Hold on. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, so so starts the wait, right? This is the way. Right? This is the one we all know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm just gonna lower this while we. Yeah, let's hear you. Mm-hmm. All right, we all. This is like an instrumentalized version or something. Yeah, right? uh, no, you a- know what? Now that I think about it, I don't think there are words, but th- but there's this theremin going. That is an amazing, cool instrument. Oh, the, yeah, the, the, the theremin. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Or it could be—I mean, it could be a synth, but like it's—it's it's a, it's a live band, and they've got keyboards and. Whoa. Good stuff. Yeah. I'm gonna think it gets. Here. It's got a little solo. It's a song. I mean, it's just a real. It's a song, song. Wow. Huh. I had no idea. I thought it was written for the the show. I, I thought that'd be a safe bet. Okay, you got off with just a few hums there, but we got something sure. out of you. Uh, what about Broadway musicals? Or just musicals, musical theater in general? Oh, yeah. Do you have, like, favorites? All that. You love all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, all that, yeah. Seems like you would. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big, you know, Phantom of the Opera kind of sing those songs in the bathtub kind of person. <laughs> you see stuff at Barber B. Man? I have, yes. Yes, I have. What is the most recent thing I've seen? It's been a while. Hmm. Uh, I just saw uh, they just announced the Southwest Florida Symphony just announced next season, and they're bringing in Ben Folds. I don't know if you know Ben Folds. He used to be Ben Folds 5. Now he's just Ben Folds. Oh, yeah. Apparently he's doing something with the symphony. Anyway, I'm just a big fan of his. So oh, wow. That excited me. Uh, what about mu- movie musicals? Movie musicals. Mm. I'm not a huge not, fan. Not your genre? That's okay. I, I appreciate I appreciate everything that goes into the making of such. Okay. That's a very <laughs> diplomatic answer. Um, okay. It is uh, time for your last song. Okay. What is it? Well, in English, it's time to say goodbye. Yes. <laughs> and? Do I get to say goodbye now? <laughs> Skip this part? No, no, you don't. No. No. I, I, I think it's a, a lovely conversation to have around this song. And would you like me to have that conversation now or later? That's up to you. Well. Don't put it off. Come on. Okay, let's have the conversation because it'll make me cry. And then I won't be able to speak. And then so, you, can, you can cry through the song. Oh, okay. So this song has many different meanings for many people we're going to hear. I believe the 
Italian version. Uh, it became a song that was tied to a memory of how we love the ephemeral. And in this particular conversation, it happens to be about a dog. And this particular, I, I still have one of my two sled dogs. Um, my partner and I adopted, and I just do want to say, sidebar, my partner is the most lovely human I could ever hope to know, and willingly decided to adopt with me two sled dogs who had just recently come off of running the Iditarod. We met a lovely, lovely female musher named Liz Parrish, who is just the most amazing woman. And she had, for her 50th birthday, decided she was going to take these dogs and run the Iditarod. And she did it. And she trained these dogs herself. And she was, we had been staying at her place um, because we were uh, running a marathon. And her place was the closest place we could find a Crater Lake. It was the Crater Lake Marathon. And she was um, adopting out some of these dogs because after five or six years old, these dogs have really run hard. I mean, thousands of miles of, of, of running to prepare for a race like that. And so we had the amazing gift as runners ourselves to adopt a couple of dogs who can run 100 miles a day and not think a thing of it. So they're really wonderful to have if you want to stay in shape. So for various reasons, we had uh, made the decision at this particular moment in our lives to kind of take a break from our day jobs and take different paths. And we uh, moved out to the Northwest for a while and created an organic vineyard and lived in the middle of nowhere with nature again and our amazing dogs. And we'd been there for a week, and our big guy, his name was Jerry, had um, become very ill, and he um, had to make an emergency trip to the vet whom we just met, who ended up being an amazing woman, who said he has about a week to live. His liver is full of cancer. And we had really come to admire the spirit that existed in these dogs. Uh, there's a lot scientifically about an Alaskan husky and, you know, their VO2 max and how they can run forever and how they, they re regenerate. They're just, they're amazing animals. But the spirit of perseverance that existed in, in both of these dogs was just something that we really admired as, as endurance athletes ourselves who <laughs> just couldn't believe what these animals were capable of. So we had come to terms with the fact that perhaps Jerry was, you know, not going to be with us for, for much longer. But he kept sending us signals that he wasn't ready to go anywhere. And from one week, it ended up being another two and a half years that this amazing hmm. creature was with us. And he taught us lessons about being present in the moment that I don't know that any other human has ever taught me. But I do know that I've been able to learn to apply those lessons that he's taught me to being with my fellow humans and appreciating how quickly we move through our existence and to be 
thankful for the moments that we can all be together in whatever ways. And so when we would often um, drive, we well, we were in the middle of nowhere, so if we wanted to go get anything, <laughs> groceries, whatever it might be, we had to get in the car and drive for a while. And we had ACD in the vehicle uh, at the time, and it was Andrea Bocelli. And this was a song on that CD. And by the very nature of the title of it, we skipped it. We skipped it for two and a half years because Hmm. we just weren't ready to say goodbye to this lovely creature in our lives. And he was such a fighter that we just played every other track on the CD and we would skip this one. And finally, uh, when, when it was time for... Jerry to leave this particular plane of existence. Jerry is the dog's name. We recognized the beauty in this song. And so I have hung on to this song every time I think about appreciating the moments that we do love what's temporary. Because I, you know, recognize that we might be you know, in this life, temporary, but I don't think love dies. And this song reminds me of that. Hmm. Well, let's listen to it. It's uh, Time to Say Goodbye from the album The Best of Andrea Bocelli. It's a duet with Sarah Brighton. Love comes in so many forms. And the shape doesn't really matter. You know, we have the opportunity to connect in so many different ways with, with other living creatures. And one thing I've always found fascinating about dogs especially, any animals that are domesticated and spend a lot of time with humans, is how much they watch us. Mm-hmm. They know us better than anyone else. And because they know us so well, their ability to support us is just phenomenal. So I was just thinking of Jerry's pal, Tumble, who is still with us. She's 17 years old now. Wow. And she still runs every day, and she's a phenomenal spirit. And I was thinking about, in the course of a day, how much she watches me and how much she is attuned to what I need. You know, I was thinking the other day, you know, dogs have been with us in a, in a very d- unique way for a very long time. And it's only been in the past however many years where they sit around and watch us stare at something. You know wow. what I mean? Like, like, our, like our computer, like if we're writing on our computer or, you know, like wow. if there's this like evolutionary biology thing happening with dogs, I wonder like in these modern times if they're like, if it's like the zombie apocalypse for them or something. <laughs> well, I mean? but, but dogs, dogs are, would have often been hunting companions. Well, right? that's like the entire yeah, retriever that's, line. That's, all that's retriever. true. And, Richard's and if, always good for a little fact yeah, check. And if you go hunting, I mean, you sit in deer blind for hours and hours and hours waiting, that's, even, that's even with bows true. and arrows. Right? That's true. Dogs got to be an animal. So maybe they've come, they feel like they've come back to their roots. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be an animal that can sit with you and just do what you do. Hmm. Right. Just to, to understand our cues so precisely, I, I feel like oftentimes if we all as humans paid that much attention right. to what one another needed, right. we might all be really good to each other. Hmm. 
Um, how long after Jerry passed away did you listen to that song? Oh, for for weeks, it it was probably about the only song that that um, that I played, and and now even you know it's just one of my favorite songs because of all of the beauty that that comes into my mind when I hear it. Still, it might be a little bit of a of a tearjerker, but I'm so I'm just so grateful for the experience and. The music, that song in particular, carries that memory so deeply that it just almost makes me want to be the best version of myself when I hear that song. And I'm just grateful that I've had such an experience with music in that way. And it's thanks to a dog. There's a there's an internet saying that you should be the person that your dog thinks you thinks are. You are. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, so now I feel like I, I live in a cave because I didn't know that one. But uh, wow. Um, uh, have you uh, read the book The Art of Racing in the Rain? I have not. Oh boy, it's coming out as a major motion picture. Oh dear. I'm just going to leave it there. If oh, you want to no. go read it? I, I can't talk too much about it because it'll get me choked up. The narrator's <laughs> a, an old. Labrador Retriever. Oh, no. Okay, see, here we go. <sighs> yeah, yeah, he just, all he wants to do is come back as a human so he can have thumbs. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very deep book that talks a lot about the human condition through the lens of a dog. Mm. I'll just leave it at that. Hopefully the movie does it justice. Oh, my. Um, what was the process that you used to come down to three songs? Wow. That is a really deep important question i hope to that's what we aim for here provide the same level of depth in my response <laughs> i was really thinking about the moments that shaped who i hoped i could be in the collective it's that you know pebble in the pond kind of an an idea what are the best things that I can offer to this moment? And these particular songs, I think, shaped the person I hope I can be for others. So those were the memory moments, you know, thinking about how do we live with memory Thanks to music, you're the premise of everything you're, you're doing here, which is so beautiful and so important. That's what I, I really tried to to meditate with when I was thinking about, you know, back to best version of self. What are the moments that have helped me glimpse that version of me? And these were the songs that I came to. What would your uh, your 14-year-old self, listening to Footloose, Think of who you are today. <laughs> wow. Mike, these are really deep questions. I'm not prepared. I'm going to need to consult, you know. The magic eight ball. <laughs> something. Uh, I think when I think of my 14-year-old self, I think of, um, you know, being really close to uh, one horse in particular in my life at that time. And I think about her. Not understanding commun communion with nature versus dominion over, and I remember how much my my experience with animals at that point in my life was 
this concept of, you know, humans are in charge. And so I think my 14-year-old self would appreciate that I've learned that communion is the most valuable way of being a part of this planet. Good answer. Um, it is time for you to recommend three people who you will share this podcast with who you think would be good guests. Wow. Can I recommend like 50? <laughs> because, you know, truly, do they have to be real people? Well, I mean, you know, if they're not real, they're not going to be on the podcast. Every, you know, everyone has a story. And I've been so touched by some stories that that students have have shared, have imparted um, recently with me. So that said, I don't know. A, a good filter to start with is um, we say it's people you're going to sh- definitely share it with. Sounds like she's not going to share with anybody. So they're going to... Sounds like she's going to bury her head in the sand. No, no, no. <laughs> you're going to tell at least a few people like I was on this thing. And, uh, you know, that means they're going to hear you say their name to be on it too because you've shared it with them. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I guess one person... I haven't mentioned in my stories, but who's extremely dear to me is my incredible son who uh, serves the community as a director of volunteers for Habitat. And I'm um, very proud of the person he is. And I don't mean that in a way that's egotistical. I just mean I'm grateful that he has empathy for his fellow humans and wants to make the world a better place. So what's his name? His name is Jerry, J-U-R-Y. Okay. (laughs) So I will probably share this with him. Okay. (laughs) See, now I'm going to tear up. And wow, the silence is Deafening. Can I say that? Is that just so cliche? You said it. <laughs> so many of the of the people I'm thinking of would probably not appreciate me <laughs> saying their names oh, well, here. You know, then you don't have to. We don't want to put um, you in the corner. I also I wonder also um, from a, a student experience if I should ask them first. Right. Um, but there are just a couple of amazing international. Well, we're going to give you a pass. And we're going to let you follow up with us if you want to get their permission first. Yeah, I would I would so appreciate the opportunity for them to be here, but I don't know if. You don't want to put them so, on. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, all right. Well, my last question is, is, are there any songs that you will avoid listening to for some reason? No. I... No, there's there's nothing I'm not willing to experience. I know, you know, I may not have a preference for that kind of music, or maybe the language is overly explicit. But there's somebody has created that because they have something that they desperately need to say or need to share or offer to the world. So that is my answer. All right. Any final thoughts? 
I'm so grateful that you're doing this. This is just really a beautiful way to to preserve humanity. Well, thank you for doing it. Thank you for overcoming your shyness on behalf of our show in this project. Thank you for allowing me this beautiful opportunity. Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. In format break, the last episode we recorded there was Friday, March 13th with episode 109 guest Larry Ford. Uh, We like to prepare for things like pandemics, so we actually had nine episodes in the can, as we say in the business. Well, this, what you just heard, was the final pre-pandemic episode. And so starting next Friday, we'll be in post or current, I suppose, pandemic mode. Not that the show is going to change at all. We are going to redo the theme song in a minor key. I'm kidding. Uh, But it is going to just finally start reflecting our reality. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and periodic host. Christoph is his executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, I'm only going back to Tuesday, May 19th, 2020, just three days ago, when the first thing I saw on social media that morning was a share from episode 15 guest, the one and only Jeff McCullers. It was a new video of Mother from Pink Floyd's The Wall as performed together but apart with everyone in their own spaces by Roger Waters and his touring band. Quoting Jeff now, This song and the opera from which it comes is now more than 40 years old. Something about all this music is so pure and so intimate that it still seems fresh to me now. This new socially distanced recording is just the latest of many reinterpretations that make this whole work stay vivid and meaningful. End quote. This is A, a great example of how Jeff's posts always seem to seek to illuminate. And, you know, we need a lot more of that in our social media feeds, you know, stuff that brings light. Anyway, B, this is yet another example of how everything that's unfolding is pushing artists into new and sometimes very cool spaces. And I do love that about what's going on. And keep an ear out, we've got something cooking that would never have come across our minds to try if we weren't going through what we're going through now together. And we're pretty excited by it. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Okay, dead puppies, dead puppies, dead puppies, dead puppies, dead puppies, dead. Horrible dead puppies scattered all over the road. Oh, so sad.